In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books. Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. My name is Josh Buckley, and my podcast partner in crime is... Travis Ratz. Travis Ratz. No moniker, no extra moniker. No, you know time. what I, I figured out is you got to make your own name in this life. You can't rely on someone's so, moniker. You have to make your own moniker. So, can, Like Travis Bubonic Plague Rats? Can no, because that? that's going to stick now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not it. Plague okay? Rats? No, I want something sophisticated. I don't know what it is yet. Okay. But maybe by episode 50... We'll have it. I'll have it. That's it. That's like that's at the end of the year, essentially, right? Episode fifty. If we count the very one ends there, yeah, we do like one a week. That's about. So by the end of the year, you're going to have something. It will not be Travis bubonic plague rats. I'm not saying it won't be, <laughs> but I'm you're saying want, you want yeah. it naturally. You want it to like yeah. evolve into something. You can't make your own nickname up. You're right. You can't. I just made one for you. Yeah, though. but that was it. Was it was it was under duress? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't get like a confession. Under mm-hmm. duress doesn't count. Well, anyways, welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast where every other week we uh, read a trade and we bring someone on who is either a uh, comic connoisseur, uh, but maybe doesn't read what we normally read, or we bring on someone who is a comic book novice to talk about something. Uh, and this is one of those lovely episodes. The episode today is on Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' The Fade Out, Act 1, out on Image Comics. Uh, I want to also say the uh, color is by uh, Elizabeth Brutweiser. Brett Weiser? Brett Weiser? Why, does, why do people in comic books have to have such bizarro names? Because they're all foreign. Because everyone knows that foreign people are the best artists. You're right. You're right. That's, That's a fact. Fact. Jack. Fact. And then so many American artists right now who listen to the podcast, the hundreds of them who do... Are just in tears. Well, there's how many American artists who do comics have names? Is there like like Jack Kirby? That's not, is that his real name? Probably not. It's like yeah. Stan Lee's not his real name. Yeah, because people eventually at some point in comic book history, people stop people stop changing their names. You know, to easy to pronounce American names, and they're keeping like their uh, European names. Yeah, and European is a euphemism for Jewish. <laughs> no, well, that did happen. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, it's that's, true. That's why Stan Lee is not yeah. Stan Lee yeah. Leibowitz. So yeah. it's a little different. All right. So, anyways, to get I'm gonna name my name. I'm gonna name my kid Buck Jones, and he will be <laughs> a comic book artist. American, yeah, like the most American comic book artist. Do you want to take before we introduce yeah. our guest? Do you want to take care of? Um, do you want to uh, say? Like, let's let's save that for the end. We don't want to okay. give away. We're gonna we're gonna pull a name for our uh, for our boot crate giveaway, which is a, a loot crate full of stuff that we have. Uh, we're going to give away. But we're going to draw the name at the end of the episode, so you got to listen the whole way in order to find out who it is. So there's there's your hook right there. If our soothing tones aren't enough. Uh, Travis, why don't you uh, introduce our guest? Who's our guest today? Our guest today is uh, Mark Poland. Uh, Mark Poland is a uh, drama teacher. Uh, he is a uh, film studies teacher. He is a uh, playwright in himself. He is my main compadre in any artistic endeavors outside of podcasting, which now we can add podcasting to lists. And Woo-hoo. he's been on uh, a previous podcasts I had, so he's no stranger to the world of podcasts, but he is a stranger to the world of comics. Oh, that's which is what I why like. he is our guest today. I like that we have like a straight up novice on the show. It's been a couple. It's been a couple issues. It's been yes. a couple episodes. Since yeah, then. and he, from all that I've heard, he is going to be our most unexposed comic book guest. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Poland. Yay, Mark Poland. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Thanks <laughs> for the introduction. All right, Mark. Um, so we, we, did, we did talk um, briefly about um, you not being uh, aware of uh, comic culture. He's never even seen a comic before. This He's is the never first seen time. one. Right. <laughs> what, what are comics? What is a, um, what, teach me how to comic. We had to explain him how to turn the pages. <laughs> it was uh, difficult. Um, what, so... As a, as a child, you never read comic books growing up? No, uh, my family really uh, didn't. I have uh, four older brothers, and they never really got into comics. I mean, the only real comic exposure I had was the X-Men cartoon, which I loved. 
I love the X-Men cartoon. Every time. Every time. Since Mark has listened to the podcast, every time someone comes in, we ask about their comic exposure. Everyone says the X-Men 90s cartoon. Everybody but everybody maybe one or two has said that they have that it wasn't part of their childhood. I feel like the cultural zeitgeist does not recognize this this cartoon. I think Marvel comics might have a movie career now because of the X-Men cartoon. I think you're right. I hope people got paid on that shit. I hope people got paid. Hey, Jubilee is the best creation in X-Men history, so... Firework hands. Firework fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Magical fireworks. Yeah. So. All right, um, so... Uh, so I, it's so weird. It's, it seems like statistically, with four other four other bro- older brothers, that somewhere there would be a comic book in the house. And I'm sure maybe they, they were brought in like periodically, but no, no, not really. Yeah, yeah like not. the brother who's really into astronomy, one who's really into like dirt bikes, uh, one who's up? really into sports. Is that one, how it worked out? And and pot. One was really into pot. <laughs> statistically, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd think that would go with comic books, you pot. Do. But you know. All right. So um, since we haven't. Since you weren't exposed to comics, you got to kind of look from the outside, inside to the comic book world. And I'm sure maybe you saw friends reading them or, you know, um, like would pass them on spinner racks when you're at like a grocery store, things like that. So what was your what was your opinion of comic culture or those who read comics um, growing up? Um, To be honest, it was it was. The nerd culture, uh, which is okay, because I'm a nerd. I'm a drama nerd. I just was the not that type of nerd, right. <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I, re- I really enjoyed this uh, comic book. I, I want to be a part of the comic book nerd culture now. One and, of us. We accept you. One of us. I think that's we the best thing. You. Is like this shows you that comics. This book that we're talking about today, the Fade Out, shows you that comic books are so much more than the movies that Marvel is cranking out. I would agree with so that. So yeah. as a as a uh, as a drama teacher, as a film studies guy, mm-hmm. what do you think about the current explosion of comic book movies out there? Good, bad, ugly, what, what do you think? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, I think um I love the movies. Uh for the most part, there's some bad ones, but uh I I think that makes it more accessible for people to get into comics mm-hmm. uh who may have not grown up like me uh, in comic in the comic world. So I'm gonna ask you. So a non, you are a non-comic guy. Favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Non-comic guy? What do you got? Uh, Wolverine. Wolverine. I think that's. What about Wolverine? And Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man too. Spider-Man. 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 Peter Spider-Man. <laughs> Attorney of Law. Um, okay, so you know you, you talked about being a, a drama nerd, and you, you've gone on to be a, a, a drama teacher and a, a film studies teacher. Uh, one of the reasons uh, when Josh, um, I didn't know this this was out until you mentioned it to me, yeah. Josh. And as soon as you said what it was about, and when the trade was coming out, I was like, I know exactly who the guest is for this podcast because um, Mark is a big fan of um, classic films, Absolutely. Uh, and not just the classic films, but the history around those films. Um, so, outside of this comic. What is it about classic films or that um, Hollywood, old Hollywood culture that you that you that you're drawn to that you love? Um, I just really, I mean, I love all forms of of storytelling. I really do, and I love the history. I mean, I teach film history, and and silent films have a special place in my heart. Um, and just it's a whole new genre, or it's like. You're, it's something that's some, somewhat lost, but silent films is, tells a story entirely visually, and which I guess there is a connection to comic books, the the visual storytelling, and I I just love the the culture of Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton, and Mary Pickford. I I love all those movies, and uh, and I think uh, that I've always kind of. Um, I don't know. I've always been drawn to storytelling, and I think movies is just one medium for that. Well, as we go and discuss this, uh, one of the things that people have when talking about classic Hollywood and getting into that, I think it's as intimidating to watch a movie from the 1930s for many people as it is, who aren't exposed to it as it is for people who are not exposed to comics to jump into this because it, they might 
whereas 1930 movies might seem dated and irrelevant, to many people, comics seem childish and irrelevant when at first glance. So looking at old films and talking to old talking about classic films or trying to get students exposed to classic films, what seems to be the um, the roadblocks to that? And, and where do you see uh, students or um, when they are exposed to th- that medium of classic films, is there a moment that you see them realize the 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 artistic merit in these films? Yeah, there is. When I'm when I'm teaching course to teenagers, they you know I get stupid questions like, uh, "What like when is it co- when is uh, color films going to happen?" or "Why aren't they talking?" and things like that. But then they'll see like Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, and then it's the universal themes that are in that movie that still exist today that draw them in and then I'll have kids, you know, who started off the movie like, oh, we're going to watch this movie and then by the end they're like clapping. Right. You know, and it's just I just think any story that's universal can you know, surpass time, you know, if it's written well enough, it can it goes through the generations. I would say like so you said it earlier like I'm a film nerd and that's the kind of nerd I am. And so you went and said uh, you know what? I really this a silent film era, and then you 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 said uh, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Mary Pickford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about them in any sort of film sense, but I know who they are. Yeah. And so it's kind of almost <clears throat> the same sort of idea where I could rattle off like mm, Galactus and, and stuff like that, and you go, yeah, yeah. Gal- you know what I mean. And so we both have this appreciation for something that not necessarily everybody has an appreciation for, but I think once it comes down to like. You, when you see the artistic merit of it and yeah, kind of like yeah. the the storytelling of it, um, you know, watching watching not not having any experience with any of those films, but I know like watching older films and things like that, where I'm like, wow, I didn't think that would be that good, but I really I really like that, you know, those sorts yeah, of things. Absolutely. Like I'm like a big. My mom grew up like make my mom made me watch. We used to watch all these Charlie like. Uh, Abbott Costello movies. Oh, okay. So all that's meet like... Frankenstein. Yeah, Meet yeah, Frankenstein yeah. and The Invisible Man and, and those ones. And that's kind of like... That's my old-timey movie experience. It's really not even... You know, it's not silent film or anything like that. But uh-huh. that's the kind of stuff where when you would tell like a kid like, oh no, it's like a really good movie. It's funny. You know, but they're like, yeah. oh, but it's black and white. And, you well, know, and, so there's... Yeah, and there were bad black and white and silent movies oh, just absolutely. as there yeah. were bad comic books. Yeah. But what I think that... What I love about the melding of these two worlds um, and uh, by comics and silent film, and I was so excited to read this, is just like Mark was saying, I think that at first a piece of art can be intimidating, like learning about art, like a Monet painting or something like that. But once you expose yourself to it and put yourself in it, everything else falls aside. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll watch a Charlie Chaplin film and you forget it doesn't have words in it. Or you were talking about Mark and I were briefly talking about the the uh, not the comic but the comic book experience of reading it of how every you forget that you're reading a comic book and it's just a story it's another way yeah. of telling a story <clears throat> and so I, I one of the things that we try to do with this podcast and I think one of the things that film studies teachers try to do is try put everything away put the limitations of the art form away and see what falls away with, as far as the story see yeah. how lost you can get in the story. So let's get into how the lost meat. are we getting this thing? Let's 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 get into the meat of this book right here. So again, this is the the fade out by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Elizabeth Burtweiser is on color. So Sean Phillips, the artist, Ed Brubaker is the uh, writer. Um, so Brubaker is has been doing this crime game for a while. Uh, he's done a couple of different books like this. Fatal is another one that's been out on uh, that has sort of that noir feel to it. Criminal is this crime book, so you can kind of like. He's got this thing going on with Sean Phillips that he's been doing. He's also written for DC and Marvel. Um, this is the current kind of uh, – there are only four issues in this. So, Travis, two-minute summary. Why – you ready for this? Are you ready to two-minute yeah, summarize it for Anyone us? remember the name of the studio? Oh, no, not off. It's not in the – Is uh, it with – it, it starts with a C? The second star or second room. Uh, that's a really does it a movie a movie yeah I'll, I'll get around it yeah we'll, okay. we'll, we'll be good. You got right. my, get my timer all right one second let me get that timer up so this is the two minute summary Travis is going to try to tell us about uh, the fade out in two minutes and go okay so the fade out is a a, uh, a graphic novel that's very heavily set and very um, steeped in the noir genre um, 
it, it complements noir films very nicely. And it follows the main character, uh, Charlie Parrish, who's a screenwriter for uh, a big studio in the late 1930s at the end of the Hollywood Golden Age. Uh, so this is when the studio system had to basically um, figure out how to restructure the studio system because of, of lawsuits, um, the old way of doing things, the old way of hiring actors, the old way of, of making films, the old way of financing films fell by the wayside. So as Charlie, uh, we meet Charlie in, in kind of dire straits because he wakes up one night and he finds that the uh, female starlet, the lead of the movie he's writing for, is dead in his apartment. Oops. Yep. <laughs> and hate it when that happens. Right. And, and, and Charlie's kind of lost to what to do. And he, so the, um, the rest of the story is him navigating through the studio world of old Hollywood for the studio he works for. And we meet all the characters. Uh, we meet the uh, studio head. We meet the, uh, uh, the leading man. We meet the public publicity girl. We meet the studio security. We meet the ex screenwriter. Um, and through Charlie, we navigate through all these characters and this mystery gets, um, uh, we get deeper and deeper into this mystery and yeah, more and more characters like swept under the it. rug. You know, it's, it's like, it ends up being a, the studio turns it into a suicide. It's your classic murder mystery yeah. tale, except set in old Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and it's got a real grit. It's got a real darkness to it. And I don't even think I needed two minutes for it. Oh, you got 149, man. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. This is a pretty easy one because it it relies heavily on um, It's like a classic trope. Victory Street Pictures. Victory Street, yes, thank you. Victory Street Pictures. Which is like uh, the equivalent of like a like a RKO or yeah. an MGM uh, in the 1930s. Uh, and he doesn't wake up in, it's not his apartment that she's in, it's her apartment. He wakes up in, in her, her apartment. apartment. Right, because yeah. I, was, I was thinking, I was telling him, like, how does he rid the body? But no, he just leaves. Yeah, he just takes off. Uh, so, first impressions, guys, uh, as we talk about this. Where do you want to start, Travis? Do you want to start story, art? What do you want to talk about? Um, let's start art on this one. Okay. Okay, um... And go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think this is probably where your and I, I think, where your and I's taste meets. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really good example of where your taste in art and my taste in art come together. What do you think about it? I loved it. I love I loved the art. I love the... Um, um, there's so much in the face of these characters. Oh, um, it's great. The, yeah. just, just the lines in their faces was so full of expression... Uh, that I that you you fall in love with it and um, uh, Mark, what did you think? Because I mean, this is yeah, it's like a is... non comic guy. What, what did you what do you think of the art of it? <clears throat> it was very realistic. Um, I think the art was. I mean, you're right. The facial expressions were amazing. Um, There's so much. It's like you could almost read it just the words and then go back and just and see the story one way and then go back and you could see it like almost an entirely different story or a more in-depth story just by looking at the images. How did you read it? Like as someone who is, uh, you know, not familiar reading panels, like what was like when you went through it, did you read the dialogue and look at the picture or did you just read the whole page and (coughs) then go back through? Tell you the truth. I I took a lot of time reading, you know, the dialogue. Then I would took time to a lot of time to look at the panel and to see what was going on so I, it took me like you know i took i took my time on it. it was very enjoyable just to you know take the time to really look at each panel and you know appreciate the color and and you're right it's very dark the, the artwork is who is the colorist very uh, gritty at uh, brett weiser so elizabeth, elizabeth brett weiser, brett weiser yeah. um sh- the color on it is fantastic guys yeah. like even even though it's there's a lot of dark throughout like the, it's like this sort of like watercolory stuff on it, where the the colors yeah. kind of bleed out of some of the characters in some panels, and and it looks like. And as I was going through it, the color style for book one for the first issue is different than any other issue. So if you look back at it, if you look at the, and I think that um, she either changed her the way she's doing it because it's the same person, Elizabeth uh, Brett Weiser is doing the color for all of it. But this first one is pretty in the lines. The first chapter, I guess, if you will, the first issue of it is really in the lines coloring. But after that, when you go to like the second book is there, the second issue is the death of me. Her her colors become Mm -hmm. a little more watercolory, a little more, some colors bleed out of images in some places. And I think it, it creates this really kind of like, I don't know if it's ethereal, but this really kind of like soft focus almost. If to use like kind of like a film idea of it it's a sort of like very soft 
Well, the color becomes almost a character in itself yeah. in this book, which is what you want from a uh, a colorist is yeah. them to be noticed. It's it's very noticeable, but not in like an aggressively. It's so contrasting to the story. Yeah. It only helps to accent every part of the story. And when you open up a page, um, like uh, two pages together. The, the the pages almost complement each other as far as the lighting goes yeah. in it. And that's something I want to talk to Mark about because Mark is as meticulous when it comes to when we work on plays or we work on films about the lighting of things, you know, which the equivalent in a comic book would be the colorist as okay. as, as far as, you know, deciding what is going to be highlighted and what the shadow is going to be using. And so when you're – one of the things we briefly talked about is the composition – of you started looking at this as like shots, as like scenes of the movie. We'll talk a little bit more about that. <clears throat> yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, it, for reading a comic book for the first time, to tell you the truth, like it, it almost felt like watching a movie in the sense that the the just the d- very good choices on angles and coloring draws your eyes to the. Uh, part of the panel that the artist wants you to look at like your eye gets drawn to the brightest point and i think they did a really good job of drawing the eyes into drawing your eye into the facial expressions of the characters with the light and just the contrast of the light and dark i I just think it was a really good job i would say that this is probably the most cinematic looking book yeah absolutely that's that's a good um compared to like everything we've read so far i would say that the the panel composition, the way the story flows in this, is probably the most film-like, the way that it's that's, set up. Yeah, that's a good Because um, we've read stuff, uh, Lock and Key, and some of the other books we've read. Um, Where the color's very consistent all the way through. Yeah, and so this does a really good job of giving you... There's some mood being set with the color in certain panels. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of them where they're big action pieces. So the, the pages aren't numbered, but there's one where... Um, so where the girl comes in, uh, the second actress, what's her name? Um, Maya? Yeah, Maya Silver. She comes in, and so they go to meet her husband, or she goes to go, she sees her husband, her ex-husband, and he smacks her across the face. Oh, yeah. And so like the color in that ends up being, everything in there is a sort of nighttime green tone, and then with that panel where there's this strike, there's this big flash of orange behind it. So you, there's like an emotion with that panel that's not there in it. That, right. That oh, does absolutely, a, yeah. A really good job with, that she does a really good job with when she's coloring all this, um, that just, it comes off, there's just some really great color work in here. Well, it, it made me think so much, because I work with Mark a lot on these um, the projects, and he, you, you're always concerned about how the lighting reflects or contrasts with the emotion going on in the scene. In fact, you're working on a play right now where you're really happy <clears> with where the, the lighting's going. And what this reminded me of as I was reading it, this seemed like the most collaborative of some of the books that we've read, where not just the artist and the uh, writer are working in tandem like Batman, like yeah. um, uh, Capullo, Capullo and Snyder, and Snyder uh, but the colorist is also in there. So it's like it's almost like this book has its own screenwriter, yeah. it has its own director, and it has its own lighting guy, yeah. you know? And they're all working together for it. And so... That mixed with the fact that it's about old Hollywood and with old Hollywood, it takes on like this this whole other dimension where not only is this a book about films and shot cinematically, but it's almost made up of like a the comic equivalent of a film crew where yeah. everyone's adding a layer to yeah. the final product. I would say I, I I am sure. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I would. I it feels like it's really intentional. You know what I mean? It feels yeah. like the style yeah. of that is really intentional. Now, when does this come out? Like, is this a monthly book? No, it's no. been. It's not monthly. The this came out. When did we pick this up? February, right? I think February is when it came out. Yes. Or is it beginning of March? I, I think it was beginning of March. Begin, yeah, beginning of March. Uh, and then issue five just came out last week. Oh, it's huge, Mark. Oh. It's, like it's super. It's thick. a ju- issue oh, five is it. a super <laughs> huge issue. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it comes out monthly. I've heard I'd heard about it and I'd heard people review it and so but not continual enough for it to catch my you know my eye when I look at stuff um, but I finally said I saw that the trade was coming out on it and I'm like oh th- it seems like a really this is kind of my aesthetic when it comes to art like it's realistic but it's got like a, a nice kind of cartoon quality to yeah, it right. you know like it the guy who does this is a you know, Sean Phillips is a cartoonist. It's not that Jay Lee, you know. Yeah, it's not. Um, 
It's not it's not too real. It's not photorealistic, mm-hmm. but it's it's realistic. It, it feels like that. And there are a lot of books that have this same kind of like aesthetic feel to it right now that you know that are that are coming out. But um, I thought the coloring can, was fantastic. Can I can I uh, be a little bit critical about something? Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if this was. I'm sure it was done on purpose. But I, I had. Did you have a hard time with some of the main character Charlie? I have. He was his his. He sometimes he seemed very old in way he was drawn and other times he seemed very young and like almost like a like a different character at times now i didn't know if that served the story and in parts where he was like you know like out all night and like that but like yeah you point out one where it's just like he looks completely different he's like like buff all of a sudden and before he was kind of like mousy and sometimes his his haircut's very flat top other times it's very like what you think like a 1930s writer would look like sometimes his very, his glasses make him look very meek and 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 timid other times you know he's he seems like uh he's drawn like the hero of the story do you think that was done on per, on purpose to reflect something of charlie in that moment I like to think that, but I didn't. Looking at it closely, I couldn't figure out exactly what they were trying to say with those renditions. I think there's a there's a couple, and I'm going to say scenes because they really read. They do read like scenes. Yeah. There's this one where he's in his office, and then he looks really meek at the top of it. And then there's the one at the bottom where his jacket's open, and he looks like a hulking figure. He looks like the bodyguard. Yeah, he looks like so, the security guard. So he's so. But before that, he looks small in front of his desk. But I think like. The shot makes him look big and angry because he just was big so you and think angry. It serves I think story. it's on purpose. I think part of it is. I think part of it is the way that this is shadowed because it's at such a noir feel that when there's deep shadow on some of these, the characters look yeah. older. And I think that's just. Do we know how it. old he is? I know he's well, certain. He was, in, he was in the war. Yeah, that was only like three. Years ago, it's like 1949, I think. 1948 is when this is happening, right? I uh, yeah, I, I would yeah, say my was... guess is he's in his. My guess would be 30s, but that would yeah. be that would be my thought process on it. Another thing I really liked, and this is very, um, they and I get this is very much done on purpose. Uh, a big um, uh, feature of noir films is blinds. Things are shot yeah. through blinds. There's always blinds <laughs> yeah. in the background. And in like almost every page, there's blinds in this yeah. thing. And I love <laughs> that they pay homage to the noir. Because you see blinds, you think noir. And they had the light coming through. And that used to be an old film yeah. trick. You just pour the light through blinds to light your scene. I think there's some really cool stuff that's done with the art, too, as we're talking about it. Where he's like kind of like flashing back. So there's some scenes where he's, um, he's in the... like. He's thinking about the movie he's done, and so the background, it's that he's like the movie's happening behind him, so it's black and white. And some of the scenes um, where he is remembering that night yeah, before the, the murder. The artwork is definitely different uh, yeah. when he's trying to remember what happened at that party. And you, you really get that hazy feel that he yeah. must be going through. It's very dreamy, like a, like a drunken haze, because yeah. that's really what you know he experienced. So let me let me ask you as as someone this is a new medium for you um, were you Mark were you were you able to keep track of who characters were because this is going from superhero books to this and the superhero mm-hmm. books you always know who everybody is because they're wearing their big yeah, yeah. costume and so when you read something like this as someone who reads like this kind of stuff and superhero stuff it becomes a little trickier to follow who characters are did you have that or did you think there was enough distinction um, for I that. Th- at times there was, but there's this chart in the beginning that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> I was going to say, but uh, that is a handy dandy chart. It's a handy dandy chart with everybody um, in there. But I, I had an okay time. Like I said, I took my time to really examine it because I knew I was coming on here. I yeah. really wanted to. I think I think even though the characters don't have costumes to indicate, I was just, uh, like to indicate like, hey, that's that's Superman or that's Green Lantern because they're costume. I think each character has their own little distinct look. distinct look, and that really helps. Where you know Charlie has his big glasses, Dottie, the publicity girl, has big glasses, you know, and she's the only brunette. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you know, and then there's um, the security guy has the buzz cut, so you know, like oh, there's a security guy with the buzz cut. So yeah. each of them has their own little quality to them. Uh, but Travis, did you ever have any trouble like going? Which guy is that again? A, a little bit. I mean. I, mine was just like as I said before, like the the uh, the way a character was drawn in one as opposed to another. But when you get to the studio executives, 
you know, the higher ups of things. Yeah. Uh, at some of the parties, the old white. I had a hard guy. time yeah. telling like the leading the leading man from some of like the other shots, and I yeah. didn't know like when there were flashbacks of the female actresses. Was that the same yeah, leading man, or was that like a different movie or a different audition and that type of thing? Well, their their leading man, uh, Earl Rath, it looks a whole lot like Clark Gable. You know what I mean? So Who is it, another character in this? Yeah, Clark yeah. Gable shows up in it. Um, but Which I, thought, I love that yeah. Clark Gable's in here. I, I like that there's that real, you know. So the three the three guys, the three older studio guys, or like like actor Clark Gable and Earl Rath have that real sort of same character quality to them and then the the talent agent guy also has that pencil mustache you know what i mean he also has that kind of that same style Creepy, thing to him. like um, per, um like uh what's that um waters john waters yeah, john, <laughs> john waters mustache <laughs> so um i i you know let's, i think we kind of picked I, apart the yeah. art uh, mark we can, and this will i'm sure we'll bleed into talking about characters as well but the story itself what do you think about the story itself here well, um, you know, I like film noir. I like noir. Um, but there's always a risk in noir of going to the cheesy. You know what I mean? Like noir, it's like yeah, you got to Yeah, you know, you got to skate on the edge of, you know, cheesy or, you know, where I just, I just don't believe it, you know. Right. But I think this stayed on on a good side where it was very believable even though it had that noir style. Now, what do you think it, it what what's the ingredient that that keeps it from from going overboard cheesy. Um, I mean, it's just good writing, just right. good dialogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you, you, they didn't do the. She walked into my office. Her legs were up to her chin. Yeah, yeah you know yeah. they didn't do like the cheesy like. I knew she was trouble. The, you know, yeah, like, um, yeah made it, better make a double. You know, he wasn't ordering like bartender. One for me, one for the lady. Yeah, the, the dialogue could have been set. I mean, it, it is set in this time period, but it could have been set in other time periods, and it and still would have worked. You know, like it's the dialogue was believable now as opposed to like that style. Well, and the and the narrator isn't Charlie, so it's yeah. not that sort of like. I think that. And then she too. walked into the room, and yeah, I saw yeah. her. Which is there yeah. because the narrator is. Someone who's narrating the whole thing, so we, you know, it's it's someone who's not right. there. Which I could have, I would have liked to have seen Charlie as a narrator, honestly, because that's a big part of noir, and I love it. I love that. that <laughs> you, love the I, you love the cheese. You love. Well, I mean, it can be done really well. It can be <laughs> I, like 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 um, Double Indemnity, where he's narrating it, or Sunset Boulevard, where it's all noir and he's narrating it. It gives you a sense of, especially from a writer. I think I love hearing writers yeah. narrate their own story. I think it'd be good. I think the problem is that there's so much of the story that takes place outside of Charlie uh, yes, exactly. that it's hard for yeah, it would be Charlie hard to distinguish be, yeah. that. Which takes us away from that noir, noir plot because for noir, typically you it's, are un, yeah. unraveling the mystery with the narrator, with the main character. Yeah. So yeah. when they they're, – because they're, they're always being played, right? The narrator is always being played by some character in there. And so you have that moment where that's revealed by the femme fatale comes in and reveals that. So he's kind of getting around that, which which makes me think this is going to be a longer story. I'm sorry. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) My phone's on vibrate, buddy. It's too bad yours isn't. (laughs) Maybe you also have it up your ass. Um, Because it's on vibrate. Let me ask you um, this, Josh. Uh, Did you think – is there anything – in here, plot-wise, that happened that you didn't expect, or was I'm not, you know, I like this story, but is it original? Well, I would say that nothing surprised me. Let's do let let's say that I wasn't yeah. surprised by anything, but I wouldn't say that it was predictable. If that makes sense, right? Where where was a mo- can you name a moment in here that really kind of that made you a cliffhanger moment or a false jeopardy moment where it really made you want to read more. I'm, I'm curious. So there were some seedier aspects of this book. And so I'm curious where the story goes in that. Cause they go to like the, the, like, uh, what's his name? Mm, the Hills, which, like uh, out which, in the Hills. Well, like the that, orgy? the guy, that guy there, but then, um, the actor, they go, there's the talent agent that they go to the porn shop with. The guy who takes oh, like right. yeah, yeah, those yeah, pictures. Yeah. I'm like, where does that part of the story go? And is what's her name caught up in this? And is that why you know? So there are these little hints of this underbelly of this film set that we're getting. That's a good point. That I'm like, that I'm really intrigued by. Like I'm really kind of like, 
where is that going? Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to see what Charlie's story is as far as, you know... The military The military stuff, that military background, being a filmmaker with uh, Clark Gable in in World War II. I'm just kind of curious as to, like, I know that he's got... You can see he's got that PTSD. That's why he's not writing. Mm -hmm. Or whatever it is is keeping him from writing. So his best friend, the drunk who got kicked out because he's a commie... Uh, is it, you know, like he got blackballed, so he's not writing, but he's secretly having him write. There's parts of the story that I want to know more about. Mm. Um, but I would say that it's having read it in trade, I, it doesn't lend itself to cliffhangers very well because we're yeah. reading it all in one sitting. Um, yeah. but then when I look at the end of books, as you go through and go to the end of the issue, there is like he pulls out. He's like, "Oh crap! I just pulled out underwear in front of my friend." And he's like, "I love it. Whose underwear love that is part. that?" You know, and <laughs> black panties. Yeah, and so you I go love through because I like how they had panties in there. Yeah, just the word. I'm like, <laughs> when you end, when you end scenes, you're when the when each little book vignette or whatever you want to you know uh, issue of it ends, you're kind of like, "Well, that was that opened up some a other little avenue. bit, a little yeah. bit, but it's not like no. that traditional like." You know, someone's like hovering over a dead body with yeah. like their shirt clenched in their you know f- a fist. But that panties cliffhanger was brilliant. I thought. I thought it was, that was really good. I, I think that there's a lot of a lot of leeway in there. Mark, did you see anything that kind of made you go, "Oh man, what's going to happen"? Or yeah, how, I, I, I think it's I think it's more of a slow burn. It's like yeah. building up, you know. And like, I'm curious. I mean, like, why is why is that place on fire? I think that Charlie may have done it. You know, I mm-hmm. think that you know. He's black, uh, there's, there's, there's a dark really side out, right? to him. He blacks out, and I, I'm really curious to know why he's blacking out. If is is he the one that did the murder? I mean, that's how it starts. But like, like, what's his story? What's his deal? What's gonna happen? I, I just think there's this darker side to him that we haven't seen yet. Well, is is someone framing him? But it didn't work. So I then, think he's dark. They... I think there's an evilness to him that uh-huh. we'll see. Well, that's what, like I, I didn't read issue five. I picked it up, but I didn't read it because I didn't want to know yeah. any more than you guys did to talk about this story. But it's a big, thick yeah. fifth issue, so I'm really excited to read it. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious because he wakes up and finds himself. Some when he was there, people knew he was there when <laughs> she was murdered. Yeah. So part of my thought process is, is he was he meant to be framed for this murder? But he woke up before they could. Whoever yeah. was going to find him there, and so since that didn't work, they went suicide route on her. You know what was the yeah. what's the underpinning? Why would he be targeted if he's targeted? And that's those are the kind of things that I want to know right. about. And I think you're really right about that slow burn. Yeah. I feel like there's going to be something where I'm going to go, "What the crap?" It's yeah. just not there yet. Yeah. And, and you make a good point. One of the things I like about this plot is. They're bringing it. I mean, these things happened in Hollywood in yeah. the 1930s and 40s. Yeah. There were so many covers up. Covers up. They made the stars. The media wasn't what it is today. That was one of the coolest parts of the story. I thought was when they they to make that girl a star. They yeah. They, they like set her this whole, whole scene yeah. up. Like you're gonna go on a date with a super actor. Oh yeah, and, and that was super common. Someone's yeah. gonna hit on you. Yeah, he's drunk. He's gonna hit, yeah. and then the star is gonna punch him in the face. It's yeah. gonna be absolutely. Perfect. I mean, look at. Um, they tried to do it with uh, like a little Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in the 90s with Julie, <laughs> yeah. right? Remember? And it was like, oh, they're going to be in a movie together. You know, like that yeah. did not say – they're like, this movie sucks so bad. You guys got to <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like all that stuff that, that this sort of like media – I really thought that was kind of this interesting thing. And I think Dottie's character, the publicist, mm-hmm. I think she is kind of like a cool little story of how she's the one who like – is yeah. orchestrated that and she's playing this role and I'm curious like does she know about the murder because she's the publicist is she part of the cover up and so there's all these yeah. little working pieces in there that I'm curious about right and I never thought of like the security the head of security being like that aspect of their job yeah in, in keeping things hushed hushed up like yeah. you kind of like are the pay man you kind of are the enforcer of the studio bosses alright so let's start talking about specific characters okay alright um Here's my question to both of you. All right. Is there a likable character in this book? I I think Charlie is a likable. I don't dislike Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, I don't know. I I think Charlie might be a bad guy, but I I like him. I like the story. Kind of like uh Breaking Bad. Like I love Walter White, you know. And yeah. I, I think just because he may be doing bad things, which I think this might be where it's going. I could be wrong, but uh 
I like him, but I I mean the most likable character I, I is Dottie. Yeah. I think Dottie is the most likable character. Yeah, yeah, everybody, definitely. And I, well, I mean, everybody has yeah. an agenda in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you really see there's yeah. nobody. Everybody's gray. Nobody's black and white. There's no like white knight, and there's no pure evil guy. You yeah. can say that maybe you know the security guy is like a bad guy, but at the same time, well, yeah, like a huge trope of noir is that there's yeah. no good and bad. Yeah, Everything is great. Real morally well great. Well, I mean, even the security guard knocks out the abusive yeah. husband. You know, so there's some good to him as well. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. And so that's what. That's, you know, as I'm going through this, and also I think the Starlet who died, you know, she, there were a couple of scenes where you, you I mean, everyone talks very, you know, yeah. nobly about her, and you see that scene between her and the, 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 her replacement and the auditions where they're like, oh, like, how does that work, being nice? And she's like, oh, I'm not that nice, you know, type yeah. of thing like that. But it makes you care for that character and want to find her murderer. Charlie, I like... I mean, of course, we're meant to like Charlie, right? Yeah. He's our protagonist. I actually think I like Gil better than I like Charlie. I, because, <laughs> yeah. like, Gil just got the raw end of the deal. Yeah, he did. But he I, I kind of like his character of, like, how angry he is. Yeah. But then he, like, he needs Charlie so much yeah. to do what he loves to do. Yeah. Or do what he's meant to do, or however you want to look at One it. One of my favorite moments um, is the scene where Charlie and... Um, when you first find out that he's ghostwriting for him, yeah, and he's just sitting like drunk on the floor, like di- and he's dictating it, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Like I just like, I don't know, like as I mean, especially when I was I was reading it, and, and Mark and I worked together so closely on these mm-hmm. things, I was like, this is like, it's like a give and take relationship. Like you know, sometimes someone's on, and someone's you always drunk it. on the yeah, floor. Someone's <laughs> always that's, that's very true. <laughs> I also like I also like the fight between him and Gil. The the cemetery fight, right? Where and how Gil, quickly is forgive him? Yeah, well, Gil is there to like check in on what's going on. Like, man, I'm just curious. I want to know what's going on. And he's like, "You're drunk." And then they fight. And I just thought that scene was like this real. You their relationship pours out, and that scene, you know, that that fight yeah. between them is, you know, this real. It blows up really quick, and then it's like, all right, man, we're okay. You know, like let's 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 hug <laughs> it out. Come on, pal. Let's go get a drink. After well, he just busts his face open, right? You know, and it's it's a really smart move of him telling Gil early on, because now you have a ticking time bomb. Yeah, you got character. the drunk guy. Yeah, you have yeah someone who's a loose cannon, and even towards the end of it, where he's like starting to get more stable. The Charlie mentions, you know, like it's only a matter yeah. of time before he explodes. Like he's just calming himself down. Yeah, and so you have that. And this book is so good about getting these all these. All these little areas of of like hot spots for Charlie is where like there were danger could be. Yeah, and the longer the story goes on, the more landmines he has to maneuver well, around. You also have every character has been kind of given like, well, maybe they're part of it. You know, the yeah. the boss who's like in love with her, the the studio exec who's like crushed. He's like, I've never seen him cry before. We've been to a bunch of funerals, and this is the first one I've seen him like cry at. And so mm-hmm. you're like, why is he crying? Yeah. I love the Zanuck line. Like they, like uh, I wonder how much they bought her contract from Zanuck from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know? yeah, and so I, those are the kind of things that I'm like. Everybody in here, and I think that's what it, that's what a good mystery does. Is it kind of points? There's a finger pointed at everybody, or a clue that would make you go, "Well, maybe he's in on it," you know. Yeah. Um, and I think this book does a really good job about it. I think uh, Brubaker paces it really well. Um, there was never a time where I was bored with it. No. Um, I was always like, oh, let's, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And it wasn't ever a, oh my gosh, I got to know what's happening. But like a continual, as things are like yeah. slowly unfolding, this origami that he's put together of it, you know, as we wait to see what's in the middle of it, you know. Here's an interesting question. Um, and you, I want you both to ask this. I know, Mark, you're, you're an actor as well. If this was a film, Mm-hmm. Okay, and you could audition for one role in this film. Which character would you want to play? And the why? lead, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could be the lead. It could be Charlie. I, I really like Charlie. Um, for that, that would be a great part to play because there there is the mystery about him. There's something going on there. Um, second choice. Um, I don't know. 
I, I I think the studio security because I always I, I like playing bad guys. Right. Yeah. I, I like playing bad guys. They're you always wanna, fun you, to play as you an actor. Get that, you want to get that beat, closet BJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, in that case, I want to be like this crazy studio exec <laughs> falls into the orgy cult. Um, if I were to pick, I would pick Gil. I think Gil. Oh yeah, Gil's, I think Gil's great. Gil has like even in those even in he's not in a ton of it yet, but the, each scene he's in, there's like this big swing. Like he's knockout drunk, he's lucid, and then there's the fight, and there's all these kind of like all this range that you get to play. And he's the most. I have the most sympathy for him so far in it, and yeah. I think like I want everybody to sympathize with me. So that, that's the part I want. Travis, what do you go? What, what part would you go for? Clark Gable. Clark, <laughs> Clark like Gable. I, you're like an extra at that point. Clark Gable is, is an extra in this man. Right. Well, but he's I, still I, Clark Gable. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, be able to pull off the like the old Hollywood charm of it. But I always liked uh, what's his name did it in Chaplin movie where he played. Um, Gosh, who's the swashbuckler who started uh, the studio? Uh, Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah, Douglas Fairbanks, and where you get to play this this over the top movie star. Uh, yeah. So I I I would want like Earl Rath. I like the idea of like Earl Rath coming in. You know, like you get to, you get to, you get to like you get to smoke cigarettes really cool the whole movie. Yeah, like that's all those people do. They're just like. <sighs> <laughs> but also, I mean, uh, gender aside too, I think that um, I think well, Maya is interesting. She's just really unlikable at this point for me but i also think um valerie summers um if i if i had uh if i didn't have a penis <laughs> valerie summers is a really interesting character to me i i really like i really like her um in the scene she gets to play because she gets to have uh really um real moments with some of the characters in her flashbacks yeah. Yeah, where they, they feel they can open up to her. And I think that'd be fun to be an actor and to have those stoop moments, if you will, where you're sitting on a stoop and, and the, that, the other character can show you who they really are besides their stereotype. Yeah, those scenes with her and Charlie are really good scenes. Yeah. And so like up until that point, you didn't really know what their relationship was together. You just know that he ended up in her house. And so once you see that scene that they were that close, you're kind of like, oh. Yeah. Why? Why did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Why did that happen? Was there anything more to that closeness opposed from that? You know, because there's some scenes there where there's like real intimate and not like sexy intimate moments, but like intimate moments between the two of them. And you're, yeah. you're I'm just curious as to where that relationship went. And you're right, Mark, that like maybe he is a bad guy. Yeah. You know, maybe. Maybe he did do something, and we're just meant to follow him along and think everybody else did it. Yeah. But then you're going to be like, was him fucking all along? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, but... Right. And maybe it could be another reason why he's not the narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the awkward moment between Maya and Victor, where Victor comes in. Yeah. <laughs> comes <laughs> in, like, through yeah, her yeah. closet. It's yeah. so creepy. Yeah. That, that, that's a really interesting moment, Really though. awkward. Yeah. Like, well, what's going on with that guy? Because it's like... One, I love the tunnels in the studio. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, they used I mean, to have that stuff, you know. And like, um, he comes out, but like his his this like you're a child. Like that really hit me. He's I like think, you're yeah. a child. I think what he wanted is he wanted because I mean he was so attached to uh, Valerie. Valerie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so he goes in there and realizes it's not. He wants her because it's the same room, right? It's yeah. the same dressing room. He's like he knows the he knows which doorway it is, right? right? So he's been through it before, and so when it's not her, he's like. Oh, she's a you know she's a child. He has to break himself of like that sort of yeah. desire. And I just thought, and you 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 said Travis that she's not an unlikable or she's not a likable character. That Maya isn't likable. I think that Maya is the character where you're like, man, she's willing. She wants this. She wants yeah. that stardom. So she's willing when a creepy old man walks through her closet and her dressing room to just drop. Well, she's done it before. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the kind of thing where. She's willing, I mean, although we don't know much about abusive husband except for that one scene, but you know that she's willing to get divorced because... That's just his Latin temper. You have to, <laughs> but, like, you have to be divorced to be the starlet. You can't be married to some nobody. And the studio paid him off for it, yeah, which is something you know, that would happen as well. Yeah. And I really love that graveyard scene with Valerie Summers where the guy's like, that's not even her real name. Yeah. It's that, yeah. that was really touching as well. It's like, like that's all you are. Like, your yeah. name's not on her gravestone. That hits me hard. All right, so um, what 
what didn't you like? What what did you want? What did you want to see more of? What didn't you like? What wasn't working for you? Um, go ahead, Josh. I'm gonna say there wasn't much that wasn't working for me. I think you. I hadn't really thought about it until you said there's no real cliffhangers, and I think maybe had there been, I think it would have amped up my enjoyment of. It, but I really, I really like the this trade uh, beginning to end. There wasn't any point in there where I was like, man, I don't really like this. And uh, the stuff that you pointed out with the art, when I look back at it, I'm like, yeah, maybe. But when I was reading it, that didn't detract for me so much. Um, I wouldn't say there's – I think maybe the only thing is that idea of maybe if there were a bigger um, payoff and reward to this cliffhanger is then answered here. So – we read it in a trade. I don't know if reading it monthly, it would have felt more cliffhangery at those moments or what, you know? Because I don't even think it came out monthly. So there's there's like a bigger gap in there for those. Well, you, Mark? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say because uh, I just really enjoyed the the experience of reading a comic book that, like, it's hard for me to... Like, I just, like, enjoyed, like, every moment of it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say... Uh, and so, I'm glad it was a good one because it wants me... It it allows me to want to read more and um, get into the world, but uh, no, I like the slow burn nature of it. I I think that's what's best. But you're right there there could have been moments that maybe hit me a little bit more. But I kind of like the subtlety of it. Yeah, Travis, what do you think? What didn't you? I know there's something you don't like because there's always something yeah. you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was um this was a, this was a uh, a tough one for me. I, I loved it because it brings together. I mean, you go to my bathroom; it's all black yeah. and white movie stars. I and just peed in there before the podcast. And then this one <laughs> in the living room; it's all comic books on my bookshelf. So it's yeah. merging of two worlds. So I have really high expectations for it because yeah. I'm like, this is like the two, mm-hmm. like, like two of my favorite things meld together. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. And chocolate. <laughs> I was going to say peanut butter and chocolate. But, uh, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Oh man! <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, I'll use this analogy. I, I watch Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Which I, love, I can't stand. I love stylized. I love the stylized 1960s. I love everything that's shot about it. I love the acting. I love. I, I just. It's just a really good show. Mm-hmm. But now we're coming to the last season. I'm like, is anything going to happen? <laughs> is anything going to be resolved? And so, my complaint isn't um, about the book. It's more of a fear of what the book could turn into. If it becomes just a Always artistic this. pet project yeah. where it's just like, let's just geek out about film and play in this noir world. Like, do you think that he has an end to this? Yes. Do you think he knows what what happens to Charlie? I think so. I think the story seems fairly... I think he has Watch an out. idea of where he's going. I, I don't think that this is endless, like The Walking Dead is endless. I don't think this endless, like <laughs> Saga is planning to be endless. I think that there is a, I think that there is a distinct vision for this. And I Arc. think, yeah, I think calling this Act One, I think plays that out a little better. Because it's not just Volume One. I know, like, well, they're just calling it Act because it's a, a movie about film. But I really feel... Um, that there's we're going to see a beginning, middle, and end as this works out. I don't know how many issues. I haven't really... This is probably one of the least prepared podcasts where I didn't go to try to find some interviews with the writer or anything like that. But um, I just... I, it feels to me like there's going to be a finish to it. Because maybe there's a finish to it and the story continues on. But I think that this murder will be solved. Right. I really wanted to bring in the idea of... Because there is this shift in old Hollywood in the 1940s. What, what happens is um, studios were making money hand over foot because they had three three ways to make money. They had distribution. They had um, – so basically they controlled the um, – um, help me out, Mark, here. It was they got to make the films uh, in-house. Uh, they uh, got to deliver them, and they also got a, a cut of – of every time it was shown. Yeah. So, oh no, here's what it was. There, The studio owned the theaters. Yeah. So there was a oh, Warner Brothers yeah, yeah, theater. Yeah. So uh, Warner Brothers made the movie. The theaters had to buy it from them. And then they also got the money from the theater. They had a monopoly. Going. So what happens in the lawsuit, they're talking about yeah. this. In, in, in the 1940s, they said, you can't have 
that third wing. You can no longer own the theaters. Mm-hmm. So that's when United Artist Theaters, that's when they started being um, uh, gobbled up by these private owners, and they no longer had that section of their industry. So they had to reorganize the whole studio system. That means you didn't have uh, artists under contract anymore. You couldn't lend them out to other studios. Uh, overseas rights were, were dying, so you couldn't sell them for to England for gobs of money. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see... I, this is... And this, is the, this is the nerd in this you. This is the film. film well, and I, it's, so it's, it's, I have really nothing bad to say about this. I just have really high expectations for what I want it to do, which is really <laughs> bad as a uh, an audience to be like, I want it to be like this. But I, 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 he's planted the seeds here where he's not just telling these characters' stories, which there are a number of them. Yeah. But I want it to. It's called Fade Out. And I want that title to prove to be something about the whole studio system. He is really, he is really giving you a bunch of because there's the whole blackball part of it. Mm-hmm. So they're really getting into the, you know that that McCarthy sort of you know thing that's going on and, and the Hollywood Seven stuff, and then it's moving into all these. There's all these vignettes, this history lesson we're getting along with it, and so I think that we are getting a larger story about the film industry inside of. This, you know, right. it's inside of this tale, and that's what history. I'm really loving about this. And stick in some more like actual stars, you know. <laughs> I, I, I think you're gonna see. I think Have you're some gonna more see it. I think from the exactly. actual stars. I think you'll see it. Get I think Charlie Chaplin kind of there. You know what? <laughs> Man, he's starting United Artists. He's trying to do his own thing. He comes in and like shake, wags his finger at everyone. When was he deported? Being, uh, uh, that was. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, after dictator, so that was nineteen sixties. I want to say maybe. Well, I don't was know. it that late? I thought it was earlier than that. Maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we're at time for favorite panels. All right, so favorite panels. Uh, Mark, why don't you go first and share with us your favorite panel? My my panel is a page. Oh, that's um, okay. We'll do that. My not my... that I've, I've never done it before. <laughs> It's right after he talks to... I know they don't number pages on these I, trades. They should. I know. They some should. of them do. That's the thing. Some of our trades are numbered. Some How of them much ink is that? Right. Honestly. Image, you're kid, you're, you're, image, I love you. You're hitting out of the park, but number your goddamn pages. <laughs> How am I supposed to talk about it on my podcast if you don't number your pages? Right. Well, it's right after uh, Charlie talks to the security guard, and then the security guard you know, says oh, it's a suicide, and he looks at the pictures of the dead body, and... Uh, he leaves and he's distraught and while he's leaving it's like these four segments where he's going to pull a flask out and take a drink and behind the images you see various um, genres of old Hollywood movies behind it and it's like almost like he's in front of a, you know a movie screen and it's I just think it's a really cool. Um, way to kind of like a microcosm of the story. Like he's stuck in this Hollywood world, but he can't control, you know, he, he is going through so much trouble while you see the movie still continuing behind him. Right. And they're, 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 they're big adventure movies where, yeah. where there's the, the hero in it. Yeah. You have old gangster movie. You and have the an coloring old of him in the front is really good. Yeah. yeah. And the movies in the, are black and white in the back. And then he is, you know, colored in, in front of it. And it's, he just pops out. And I love the last one where he's just taking a swig of that flask. And it's almost like he represents the audience as a mass trying to escape, you know, type of thing. You know, like their own their own lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good page. I yeah, really it's, like a, it's page. great. It was my, my, I definitely, when you asked me to do that, I turned to this page because I really liked it. All right, Travis Bubonic Plague Rats. What's your, um, <laughs> what's your panel? Thank you, Josh. Um, First, let me ask you because. Was it hard to pick a panel in this? Yeah, it was because because these panels were used for really storytelling for the most part, and not for the aesthetic uh, of it. And we, you know, uh, Scott said something on our last podcast, the artist, and I think yours, I think um, uh, our artist that we had on here would agree with exactly what you picked mm-hmm. because he says the hardest part about drawing comics is trying to make it both. Uh, aesthetically appealing and serving the story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That so he, it, wants to, he talked about he wanted to make it a piece, piece of, of art, art in itself, but also tell a story. And that's tough to walk that fine line because it's easy to have like a really cool aesthetic piece yeah. that looks right on a wall, 
but it also has to serve the story as well. And the the, the three uh, panels that you picked uh, really do that. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm stepping out of bounds. I think this is going to jump out to anyone who reads this book. Um, I put it up on uh, well a, a similar shot to this. This is um, when Charlie wakes up. I think this is maybe in the last uh, issue. Uh, or right before the last issue, when Charlie wakes up from his uh, one of his nightmares that he's having about uh, Somers. You son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's this daydream, oh, night- yeah. nightmare haze in the smoke. And it's so stylized. I really like the second panel down. The first, they're, they're complimentary. But I like the second one down where she's... The face. Yeah, the face in the foreground. But I really like... Because for me, panels also incorporate the dialogue. And these are the lines to it. I'll read both the panels. He's trying to to recall the night that he blacked out. And it comes to him in images. And he says, but it's still just fragments. He can see more of the picture. But the faces are always out of reach. It's like his brain wants him to remember just enough to stay miserable. And that's so like genre specific Mm -hmm. to this. Where it's Mm -hmm. just like... His brain wants him to remember enough just to stay miserable. And then you look at the image, and it's sexy and smoky and swirling and mystery, and I love it. So, my panel was... I think you picked two. My pa- <laughs> I did, it is. My panel was... My first panel I was going to pick was the continuation of that one, where you see the second face. Right. That was my pick. Is like a couple pages later... He sees a photograph of someone, and that jogs that smoky memory. Oh, so yeah, the yeah. one he can't quite see, he sees again. That was my that was my choice, but I'm not going to pick it because you just did the same exact thing. But I feel that my other choice is exactly Mark's choice, but later on when he does the same sort of idea again. Uh, later on, he's remembering – this is going to be my pick. Later on, he's remembering – it's almost it's the last issue of the book or the second – yeah, the last issue of the book – He's remembering working for Clark Gable in the in the uh, World War II movies, and he's drinking again. He's got the flask again, uh, and it's when it's at the top of the page. He's taking he's taking a swig from the flask. The bombs are exploding behind him. The planes are there. Um, he says, "But that Charlie, that young hotshot, he feels like a distant cousin now, like someone he only ever vaguely knew at best, because now he's like he's not on that sort of adventure." Yeah. In World War II, he's just a guy who can't write, who gets drunk, and has his best friend write his stuff for him. And so he's not who he was at all. And so, so I think the kind of contrast there of I that was that him one, yeah. filming those big moments. And now he's like a guy who woke up in a chick's house who was murdered, and he drinks. And, you know, there's a couple other panels where um, I really like the tits. <laughs> those were, those, those were good. Uh, there's, I wish you, I, and I think right now you said like uh, there were some scenes. What do you wish it was different? There are some great like outdoor shots of like the city that I just wish there was more of. Like yeah, LA's oh, really yeah. Sean Sean Phillips does a really good job of showing that stuff, and I just wish there was a little more of it every once in a while. But when, I think LA will become more of a character in it, like uh, like LA Confidential was yeah. in that movie. All right. All right. So we have before we 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 say goodbye to Mark here. Uh, we do have some business to take care of. We do. We do. Before that, Mark, would you would you do you want to read more of this story? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So now we know what gifts to get Mark whenever they come out. Issues of the fade out. Yeah, that's right. right. Oh, thank you. Uh, so we have <laughs> we have some business issues. Here. Are like eight bucks now, man. That's a, that's a thick issue. <laughs> we've been we've been uh, pushing this idea of the boot crate. Boot crate. Boot crate. Hashtag boot crate. Uh, and so we have been going through our Twitter feed and having followers tweet about the podcast. And if you tweeted about the podcast, we wrote down your Twitter handle, threw it in a hat, and I drew your name out, real scientific, to find out who did it. Uh, we had some folks who did the same thing on Facebook. Uh, plug at Comic Exposure on the Twitter, Facebook.com slash Comic Exposure on the Facebook. Uh, you should follow us. We'll probably do the boot crate again. Right. But we picked someone for the boot crate, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to announce right now who the boot crate winner is. Drum roll. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this one right here. At Brent Jackson 30 is the winner of our boot crate. So at Brent Jackson uh, I am gonna I'm gonna hunt you down on the Twitter. I'm gonna direct message you on the Twitter. Get your 
home address, <laughs> which <is, laughs> seems creepy, uh, but for the sole purpose of sending you a box full of stuff. We, I, there's some things that, there, that I put in that box that I, I was reluctant to get rid of. The, there is not stuff. get rid of, but to pass on. <laughs> yeah, and some we, of it's brand new. We've got some stuff we're handed, the stuff we're giving away in the boot crate that has to do with every ish, every episode we've had so far. So if we've talked about it, there is probably something that goes with it in this boot crate. And I'm going to do a piece of original art. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. Uh, but you're going to get a original piece of artwork. Ooh, so exciting! Uh, along with some along with some comic stuff, we're going to send you uh, Brent Jackson thirty. Uh, so you'll hear from us. I think that's it, gentlemen. Are we? Are you ready to say goodbye, Travis? Anything else? Yes, thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, thanks, Mark. For yeah, we're doing this on a Monday night, and, and Mark drove away to be here. So thank you very much, um, and um, thank you, Ed Brubaker. Yeah, this is a John great, Phillips. great book. And great you know book. what? Thanks, Josh. Hey, no problem, buddy. I'm t- I'm glad I picked it for us. All right, so next up is Persepoli Mother's Day episode. Travis's mom is coming on. My mom's in the house. <laughs> Persepoli, which is a graphic novel about Iran, mm-hmm. which is about, about a young girl growing up in Iran during the revolution. Yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll be another back to a weird indie book we're reading because right. we, we did Water Water Welder award winning yeah award winning book. Uh, so that's pretty cheap now on Amazon. You should go find it, read it along like with us. Seven eight, seven ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. So read it, read it along with us. For this that's the book next is. issue. That's two weeks from now, yeah. uh, around Mother's Day, uh, and. We're going to be at True Believer Comics really soon, too. Uh, after May 5th. May 5th. We're going to be there doing a show live with the owner, Mike. Uh, we're going to talk about what it's like to own a comic shop. And by live, mean we're going to record it and then put it on the internet. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do that. <laughs> uh, so if you live in the area of Arizona, you can come watch the podcast. The area, yeah. It's a big state. But if you wanted to, you can come see us. Uh, anyways, thanks much. We'll see you next trade.